Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Pulls up to Luke chapter 11 this morning. Um, this weekend we had a, a marriage conference that we streamed with Matt Chandler and his wife, Lauren Chandler, and it was just such a blessing. Um, I learned that uh, my wife is my better half, so that, that's good. I, I, I thought I was her better half, but apparently that got turned around and somewhere I messed that up. And now that I know that, our, our marriage is great and we'll never have problems again. So, no, just kidding. Man, I'll tell you what, it, it was so good. Um, every session was so good. And um, I feel like my wife and I have a good marriage. We have good communication, um, you know, in terms of what we expect from each other anyway. I don't, some other people might think we're kind of vague, but we, we know what we're doing as far as it <laughs> works for us anyway. But, um, but yet, you know, I, I find uh, that in my marriage with my wife that, you know, I can, I can put it on autopilot. And I can find that, you know, that um, our relationship can be good, but I think God wants it better. And um, as I, you know, just was hearing the, the pastor talk and... Um, I felt like really literally that like the Lord was just taking a little bits of hardness off my heart, you know, just pieces of hardness that I had, that I had just started to take for granted, you know, in, in our relationship. And, um, you know, that's what God's word does. When we sit before his word, you know, his word just begins to, um, if we allow it to, it will start to tear off the world's, you know, the, the stuff that we've carried from the world in, into our relationships, into our homes, into the church even this morning. And so, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing, um, the Word of God itself, but it's only as powerful as you'll let it be in your life, is kind of what I, what I learned this weekend. And, and, you know, I'm so grateful that they had that conference, and that will be available to you. Um, online, you can listen to the messages um, on minglingofsouls.com. When, I think it'll be up this Tuesday, but, um, but we will put it up. We'll put it in the bulletin this week for you to, um, to find the link to. I'm telling you, if you're married... If you're thinking about getting married, if you know somebody who's married or knows somebody that's thinking about getting married, they should listen to this because it is so good. It, it, it really, really, um, you know, helped, I think, um, every person that was there in some way, shape, or form. God fed us. So I would encourage you to listen to that. And they also have a, a, a dating and singles conference that will come up in November, which I think will host, and I think it will be so good, not only... For, 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 you know, maybe like the youth and to understand what does the Bible say about dating and stuff like that? What is, what is the purpose of it? But also, I think for parents, it would be good to hear from God's word because what you can do is, as you shepherd your child is you can, you can teach them the word. And that's going to be the thing that sticks in their life. So, you know, we'll host that. And also, um, you know, so that, that's coming up in November. It's a really early plug. So put that on your calendar. I don't know what the date is, but just mark out the whole month of November for us, and we'll be good. But um, Luke chapter 11, and we are working our way through the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, this last week, we, we sat in the classroom of the king, and he taught us on prayer. And this morning, he's going to teach us about deception and how easy it is for us to allow our flesh or the enemy to deceive us, and we receive things that um, you know, in our hearts that appeal to us, and we, we're deceived, and then we, we sort of walk that out in our life, and before you know it, you're completely contrary to what the Word says, and, and it's so easy to happen. Jesus wants to teach us how to dispel those deceptions that we 
uh, receive in our lives. And so if you would stand with me, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14 through 32. We got a lot to go through this morning. So Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be our judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted in, divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except, uh, to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We know, Lord, that you want to speak into our lives and you want to change us. You want us to be more like Jesus. And there's not a single person in this room that doesn't need to be changed to be more like Jesus. And so we all sit before you this morning, God, and we ask that you would work in our lives. That's why we're here. We came to seek you, to know you. Lord, that our lives might reflect the glory of who you are. And now we invite you, Lord, to chisel off those things in our life that don't belong there. And we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would help us not to just hear the words this morning, but to receive them in and to take heart at what you want to speak to us about, that we might be changed, that we might be more like your son. That is our prayer this morning. We sit before you, Lord, and we ask that you do the work that only you can do in our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. As I approached the passage, you know, this week, and I was praying through it, and I was looking at the passage, and I, and I continue to hear the word deception. 
And it was the Lord was just sharing with me the different types of deception that are found in this passage. And, and there are many different types of deceptions, some of them that were cultural in the day that Jesus taught, but some of them that are cultural in our day. You know, when you start to talk about demons and you start to talk about these kind of things, people start to get sketchy. They wonder, well, what kind of person are you? Why, you know, because not a lot of people believe in that. There's, a, there's an incredible spiritual deception in our world today that things like that in the Bible just, are, just happened then. Well, why would they stop? You know, if you have any, if you, any consideration for the Word of God at all, and, and there are so many churches that even say this, that it's ancient scripture. Well, when, does, when did it change? Because my Bible says that my God never changes, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his word stands today just as it stood the moment Jesus spoke the words. They're as applicable today as they were then. And there's so much in this passage that talks about being deceived. And, and there is so much deception in the church today. As you look out in the world and you wonder, you, you ask yourself, how can that church teach that and believe that when it's completely contrary to the Word of God? How can they do that? It's called through deception. It's deception. And as you look at your own life and you ponder upon the things that you believe about various different subjects in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, am I deceived? Is there something in my life that as I look at, you know, I just believed, I took it for what somebody had said, and I, I took it and I made my own belief in it, and, and maybe I've deceived myself into the thinking that something's okay that the, is contrary to the Word of God. How do we know? By the Word. The Word is our filter. The Word is the thing that uncovers deception in our life. That's why as we sit and we, we read God's Word with the intent for him to speak into our lives and, and as seekers to know him more, guess what happens? He shines the light on deception in our life and says, no, you have that right. And we have to, in that moment, either believe him or choose to be deceived. That's the reality. And so many in the church today are absolutely deceived about where they are with the Lord today. To be deceived, literally, the word deception means dishonest behavior that is meant to fool or trick someone. So, so deception itself is nothing more than an attractively packaged lie, right? I, I mean, it has to be attractive for us, otherwise we would never be deceived. Like, we have to kind of want that to be the truth, otherwise we would never receive it. The devil is a masterful at being to package things that appeal to you to deceive you. And he's really good at it. The Bible tells us, He's the father of lies. Deception is simply an attractively packaged lie. You know, the devil, I believe, created marketing. I think he's the, the mastermind behind the entire concept of marketing. What is marketing? Oftentimes, it's deceptive words. It's words that make you think something more than, like this product is going to do something for you, or if you only have this, your life would be this way. And, and it's such a deception. It's such a deception. There are, you know, take the weight loss industry. Everybody is interested in always trying to look better and lose weight or whatever. Do you know that's a $40 billion industry? $40 billion. You know how much, how much the, um, just, you know, the Bible itself, like how many Bibles are sold in the world today? It's about, just to put it in perspective, about $2.5 billion. So there's a little bit of a gap between people wanting to look better and people wanting to know God more, right? There's a huge gap. 
My point is this, though. $40 billion worth of products are bought every year with people under the impression that if they do this, that it's going to change their life. And oftentimes, it's just deception. Have you seen the before and after pictures of people on, on film or whatnot, on magazines or on commercials and stuff like that? If you'll only take this product for 30 days, I guarantee you that you'll lose 20 pounds. That is, that is deception. Because the reality is, is that, I, I mean, I worked in dietary supplement industry for a long time. I still do. And I know the reality is, is that there is no magic pill in the world. There is no magic pill that's going to allow you to eat whatever you want and you're going to lose weight. It won't work. It's deception. They're deceiving you in the sense that they're saying just take the product. But it has to be followed up in the fine print with diet and exercise. So you have in your mind, that's it, I got this new product. I'm good. I'm losing 20 and 20... In 20 days, I'm going to be 20 pounds lighter. You watch. And oftentimes, what happens? You're 20 pounds heavier because you thought you could do whatever you wanted. It's deception. And people are deceived in thinking that, you know, they can take this thing or whatever, and, and it's all in the, in, the, in the gamut of marketing. Can I save you some money today? Do you want to lose weight? I, I like Peter Miller told me the best trick in the world. Buy some duct tape. Just buy some duct tape and you're good. Put it over your mouth and I promise you, I guarantee you, you will lose weight. I promise. And that is, that is no deception. How do I know? I've done it. I've done it. I'm not against dietary sums, by the way. In fact, I'm kind of in some ways um, putting myself out of business. But, um, but no, not really. There is deception. And, and that deception rolls into all different aspects of our lives. It rolls into the aspects of our spiritual life so easily. It translates into, uh, you know, us believing what we want to believe as it relates to God. And so what we do then is we create a God in our own image. And, you know, like Matt Chandler said this weekend, none of us are, um, are good gods and none of us are good creators. We can't create a God, a God good enough that we would want to serve him in our minds. And, and so, you know, we, we want to be careful about the deceptions as it relates to our spiritual lives. And there are many in this world today that are deceived plainly that there's no God. Atheism is simply an attractively packaged lie to some. It might not attract you. You think like, oh, I, I would never fall for that. But some do. It's because it's attractive to them. It's their personality. It's something that they believe. And so they receive it willingly and easily. I don't believe in God. Some people are the same way when it comes to afterlife. The Sadducees during Jesus' day were like that. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They just thought it was over. And there are many people in our day and age that are deceived that there is no God we will stand before and that we will give an account for our lives. It's deception. It would depress me to think that that would be the case. Or would you even want to continue on with life if that were the case, man? I don't get it. But it's deception nonetheless. Many people are deceived on how they're going to go to heaven. You know, how do we battle deception? It's through the word. What does the word say about going to heaven? It says that Jesus is the only way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous, i.e., all sinners in the world, the unrighteous, categorically every person in the world, unrighteous, right? Unless you come to Christ, that's what makes you righteous. But the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, those beautiful words, do not be deceived. 
Don't be deceived. Don't think that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God if you find your life categorized and, and uh, habitualized by sexual immorality, by uh, idolatry, by adultery, by homosexuality, by being a thief, by being greedy, by being a drunkard, by being a reviler. You know what a reviler is? Somebody who speaks critically of other people. Unrighteousness in God's book, right? Nor swindlers. Listen, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Paul said. Every one of you fit in one of these categories. Paul's talk, talking to a mixed crowd here. Some of them are in Christ and some of them are not. And he's saying, don't be deceived about this. If you find yourself habitualized by these things, you need Jesus. If you find yourself that you were one of these people that was like this, you still need Jesus. You need Jesus. And he says, don't be deceived about it. The only way that we can inherit the kingdom of God is by putting on the righteousness that Christ gives us through that great exchange when we humble ourselves before him and we declare him Lord of our life. When we lay our lives down before him. And yet so many people are deceived. They think, and even, cheat, even churches will tolerate certain sins and, and even teach from pulpits that, oh yeah, it's okay to practice these things because God changed his mind on that. Really? Really? You know, uh, there's a pastor up in Franklin that actually heard from God that, that teaches that pra practicing homosexuality is fine today because he heard from God. Can I tell you that he didn't hear from God? Can I tell you that God doesn't change his mind about his word, right? And, and, and so... You know, there is a lot of deception as it relates to even people in our world today that believe that they can just be a good person. You know, the devil is so good at deceiving us that, that he, can, he can help us think that, you know, we can be good enough to come before God. And again, is that attractively packaged or not? Because our flesh is attracted to that, right? We want to think that we're good. We want to think that we can inherit the kingdom of God on our own. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm going to get to the, the rest of this in a minute, but you've got to follow me here because the train of the thought is here is that we can all fall into this deception. Even sitting in church week after week and listening, just like I was sitting in this marriage conference with my wife and we've been married for 20 years and 20 years of just hanging out with my wife and, and thinking that our marriage is great and all this kind of stuff and, and to know that, hey, maybe God wants me to grow in this area. Maybe I've been deceived in the way and how great I think our marriage is. Maybe there's some things that God wants to change in our marriage. I'm telling you that maybe there's some things in your relationship with God this morning that he wants to show you and he wants to change in your life. Because coming in and out every week, that's not, the deal is building relationship with God. Right? It's fellowship with God. It's sitting before him and just saying, God, I care about what you think more than I care about what I think and I don't want to be deceived. And that's why you're here this morning. But there's a pattern. And I'm trying to help you to understand that from day one when you are birthed into this world, there is a, a, there is a deception that is being taught to you from day one the enemy is constantly trying to deceive you, even in your Christianity today. And the only thing that will keep you true to him is his word. His word, not some guy, not a pastor, not your wife, not your mom and dad. His word. His word is the only thing that will never fail you. God will never fail you. And so we want to stick to his word and we want to counter, we want to um, combat the deceptions of the world through his word, and that's called the world. Uh, we want to look through the Bible 
look through, we want to have our biblical worldview. You want to see the world through the Bible. That's what we're here for this morning. And that's what Jesus wants to show us. He wants to help us to see the deceptions that are so easily taken on. The first thing that we see in our passage this morning that I would say is not necessarily deception in Jesus' culture, but it is in our culture, and that is the deception that demons don't exist. Look at verse 14. It says, Now he was, speaking of Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out and ma- mute, uh, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Now, now demon possession is a real deal. That, that really exists even today. You know, there are demon-possessed people in our world today, and many of us are totally blind to that. Now, can I ask you why? Because why do you think that would change? Did a third of the angels fall from heaven with, with Lucifer? You can shake your head yes, because that's what happened. Now, if there's a third of the angels that fell, right, and, and, the, and there, is a, there is a spiritual realm here today, because if they're on earth with us, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis 3, that the, the, the devil was present in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, right? Did he leave? Did he, did he just abandon this world? No, he's still here. So there is a real devil. He is really here. There are a third of the angels, a third of the, the uh, fallen angels, demons that exist in our world today, and that is real. And they are at work. They are at work in our world today. And yet, a third of the people in our country don't believe that. A third of the people in our country don't believe that. So, so 12.9% of people, according to a survey done by Baylor Religion in 2007 said uh, 12.9% people don't believe in demons at all. Not even, not even give it a second thought. Don't believe it. 19.5% say they probably don't exist. So I'm really not sure, but I'm leaning towards no. I, I don't believe in that. So that's like a third of the people that were surveyed. They don't believe in, in, in demons. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So whether you choose to believe or not to believe in the reality of the demonic realm uh, really is irrelevant. The Word of God tells us it exists. And so it takes precedence in our lives. So we know that's the case. And we know according to the word that the things that we deal with in our life are spiritually oriented. There's, there's stuff happening in the spiritual realm that affect our physical lives here today. And many of us overlook it. You know, when you look, think, take things like schizophrenia and how many times, you know, ha- have, have any, anyone ever considered maybe that's demon possession? I don't know, maybe it is. Maybe that's demon possession. I'm not saying it always is that. But where does your mind go? Does it automatically go to the flesh and go, well, you know, they're just, it's a DNA issue. It's, it's a, a hereditary issue. It's something that happened. But what about the spiritual realm? Because my, my Bible says I don't fight against the flesh and blood. Jesus is trying to flip our worldview and cause us to see in this world through his eyes. And his eyes see a demonic presence. His eyes see a realm around us, even today, right now in the, our very midst. You know, in the movies, you think that people can run to church and Satan can't go in the church, you know. Listen, there's spiritual warfare happening right now in our midst. There, there are, there's a demonic presence that's trying to influence you and trying to sway you and trying to get you sidetracked, and yet there are, there are angels, I believe, battling for you as well. 
so that you can sit and listen to the word of God. I believe that's happening right now. And if God could flip a switch, I promise you, you would see that. You would see a war going on right now. So when stuff happens in your house, in your life, at your work, or do you automatically just take it for granted that it's a fleshly thing, that it's a physical thing, that it has nothing to do with the spiritual realm? Because that would be deception. And Jesus would say, you're deceived. There is a spiritual realm, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to understand it, because you can't fight something that you don't know about. You know, you can't battle something. You can't battle the spiritual realm if you don't think it exists. And Jesus is telling us right here, it does exist. And he battles for us. And he's at work in the spiritual realm. In this particular case, he casts out this demon. In this man, in in this demon, in some way, shape, or form, was enabling, you know, stopping this guy from being able to speak. He was mute. I don't know if the thing had the vocal cords clamped in in this person or what. Perhaps they had no clue that they were even demon possessed. Could they be deceived? I think so. I think we have this concept that demon possession is like poltergeist. And like you're being tossed around this, you know, the, the room and you know, on the ceiling and all this kind of stuff. And you know, your head spins around backwards and all this kind of stuff. That's demon possession. Your eyes roll back in your head. I promise you that there are people that walk by you that you think are normal that are demon possessed. We saw that with the Apostle Paul. As he was, well, I can't remember what town it was, but there was this little girl that was following behind. These guys are the servants of the Most High God. And she had the ability to tell, to, to tell the future. And she could predict. And these guys were using her to make money off of her. Hey, who's going to win this, you know, this UFC fight? They didn't have that. But who's going to um, win the Super Bowl? They didn't have that either. But you know what I'm saying? They, they, they used her in some way, shape, or form to gain monetary value from her demon possession. Paul turned around and rebuked her, and that spirit fled, right? So I'm telling you that it happens. Today in this age, there are many, many um, things that are a result of demon possession. I think much of the violence and the hatred and the murder and the mental illness and the even maybe some paralysis and some disease and deafness and muteness and all that kind of stuff why would we look at the physical first? Why wouldn't we automatically go to the Bible and uh, go to the biblical side and say it's spiritual? It is spiritual. Jesus just said we don't battle against flesh and blood. So we need to be aware. What, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that we're in a spiritual battle constantly. In every aspect, it's, a, it's, a, it's related some way, shape, or form to the spiritual realm. Again, not every act. Is there a demon behind it? And I don't believe that for a second. But I would be a fool to think that, there was, that, that that didn't happen. And I would be a fool to not consider it. Because the Bible tells me that that is the case. There is a real devil. There are real demons. They really do possess people. But what I know is that Jesus simply, however he did it, Jesus is bigger. And what I know is that he spoke a word or he did something, motioned out of this this man, demon be gone, and he was gone. He created the angels. All things were created by him and for him and through him. There was nothing that was created that wasn't created by Jesus, okay? So they know him as that. And they tremble before him. Jesus disperses this demon along with it, this deception that there is no spiritual realm. Notice the people marveled. As Jesus did that. Why did the people marvel? 
Deception number two, which happens to be a cultural issue in Jesus' day, that demons can only be cast out if you know their name. That was what they believed. Now, how can a mute man speak the words of the name of the demon when he can't speak? You see the dilemma that it, paint, that it put in, in any exorcist that was going to try and help this man? They can't. This is an impossibility. And that's why the people marveled when Jesus did this because they, they thought, how did he do that? Wait a second, he doesn't know his name. Hey, you don't know his name, Jesus. How did you cast this demon out of this man? They were deceived. Jesus, the name, the only name that you and I need to know is Jesus. It's the only name we need to know. We don't have to know the name of a demon. We need to know the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's his name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess as Lord. It's by his name that we, we do these things. We don't have to know the name of any demon. These people were marveling at something that was deception in their eyes. Look at verse 15. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul and the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now, there's two reactions from these people. Some believe that he was, you know, being, being possessed by the devil to do this. He was empowered by the devil, the, the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebul. Um, or there were, the other camp was that, you know, we're not sure, but we need to see more. Now, what's the common denominator in both of those reactions? Huh? Unbelief. The common denominator with both of these reactions is they don't believe. They don't believe in Jesus. They believe it's either demonic or they believe, they're not sure, but they certainly aren't going to take Jesus' word for it, right? And so they are deceived by unbelief. And they, have, they, they, they can't see how Jesus could do this. They're, this crowd is confused. The demons disperse, and yet the crowd is skeptical and unbelieving. So why not blame Satan, you know? Why wouldn't it be Satan that would do such a thing, you know? Why not ask for a sign from heaven? I mean, he only cast out a demon. That's like earthly, you know. Is that a spiritual thing? <laughs> yeah, it is. But, but they've seen it. They're deceived. They came to the reality of, you know, the reality is, is there is an authority issue. They don't believe Jesus is the authority. He either has to be empowered by Satan or he has to be empowered by something else. But he has no authority and let me just tell you that that is a real deception in our world today. The fact that Jesus has no authority in your life. The Bible tells me that Jesus has all authority. Matthew chapter 18 verse 18. Matthew 28 18 says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Jesus. To me. He has all authority in the world today. And it was given to him by his heavenly father. So don't be deceived about that. Jesus has all authority. That's why we claim his name upon our lives. That's why we claim his name in the demonic realm when we're trying to battle, you know, this spiritual realm is we claim the name of Jesus because all authority comes in the name of Jesus. And Jesus gave you that authority. He passed the baton to you and say, in my name, ask for anything. Of course, it's according to God's will. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, you don't think it's God's will that that he um, disperse evil in somebody's life? You don't think that it, 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 as we just 
But here's the thing is, it's, it, there's two components to it. There's the authority, as we see here. There's a lack of authority, but there's also a lack of faith. And it's both. God has given us authority in our life, but we have to believe. And that's how it works. And if you don't, if you, if you start to shirk on either one of those, that, that Jesus doesn't have authority in your life, or, you, or you, you don't have the faith to believe, then guess what? It, whatever you're going to deal with is going to be in your life. We're powerless in that. Only Jesus can do that. And it's only faith in him, right? That's what he's telling us. Jesus has all authority over all things. He has the authority, and we must submit to that authority. We don't need to question that authority, nor do we need a greater sign to confirm that authority. That's what was happening. They were questioning his authority through their own unbelief. It's a joy to sit under the authority of Jesus because he wants what's best for us. And so this morning, as the Lord speaks to your heart, sit under his authority with joy and receive it because he's, he's looking out for your best interest. Look at verse 17. He, Jesus goes on here and he, he says, he knowing their thoughts said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and divided, um, a, a divided household falls. And if Satan also divided against itself, how will this kingdom stand? Jesus is just saying, guys, this is ridiculous to think the way you're thinking. So he's addressing the first part of the unbelief, which is this whole thing that he's being empowered by Beelzebub. And he's saying, it's ridiculous to think that Satan would divide himself to conquer, right? That, that's just absurd to believe that that is deception. Well, yeah, of course, Satan divided against himself. Uh, the, the word that Jesus uses here for divide is not like the you know, military strategy that we use to divide and conquer in terms of to shrink down into smaller groups, but still have the same purpose to go after the enemy. This is a different word. It literally means to become contrary to one another, literally to become aggressive towards one another. It, 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 it's, it's literally a division that becomes hostile. And, there's, there, and Jesus is saying, why would the devil become hostile towards himself? That doesn't make any sense. If that happens, his kingdom will fall. He would be put in a weaker position. Jesus is, is dispelling this deception. And he, but, he, but in the same time, he's, he's bringing out the reality that in your house, in your life, in your workplace, whatever it might be, if there is division, your, it will, whatever, your relationship will fall, that, that, that um, employment will not be good for you. If there becomes division in any aspect of your life, it will not work. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And so we have to guard ourselves against being divided in our own homes, you know, in, in, in the church. The enemy loves division. He, he creates that. He doesn't create that within his realm, but he creates that in our realm. He loves to see the church divided, and he's done an incredible job at dividing the church. I mean, look at the denominations that we have, and everybody thinks they've got the corner on truth and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just saying, man, just, just look at the word. Let Jesus be the master and let's just all follow him, right? It's not about a denomination. It's not about a, a doctrinal position. At the end of the day, as long as Jesus is the forefront and it's about Jesus Christ, and it's Jesus and Jesus alone, then you know what? We're good. Let's fight the good fight together and not divide against one another. You know, we learn something in this marriage thing when it comes to your, your relationship with your wife, and I think this could apply in any relationship whatsoever. The reality is, is that 
when you, when you start to focus on all the negative things that your wife is doing, you start to focus on all the negativity of that other person in your life, you're going to create division. It's going to happen. You're going to automatically distance yourself from that person. And, you're, and, and then what happens is that relationship's going to fail. It's a given. It will happen. And that's what the enemy loves to do. He likes to keep us focused on what the person's not doing. But the Bible would say, hey, focus on the things that she is doing, he is doing, they are doing. Focus on those things. Isn't that why the Bible tells us to examine our own heart first before we go and look at somebody else? Our lives, that applies in marriage, in any friendship, and in an employment situation. We have to guard ourselves against being divided. The enemy is, um, is masterful at causing division. Jesus says, man, it's foolish to think that uh, division, there would be division in the, in the enemy's camp, and he would cause himself to cast himself out of this guy. That's ridiculous. Um, he, he goes on here, and he's, he tells them, listen to what he says. Why don't you, what about your sons? How do they do it? He's talking about the Jewish exorcists there. How do they do it? Well, they, had, they did cast out demons and all that kind of stuff, but, but by what power? Did they do it by Satan too? Jesus says, let them be the judge. What he's saying is, 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 if you believe that they're doing it by the finger of God, why don't you believe that I'm doing it by the finger of God? What's the difference? I don't get it. You've seen me do many, many other things. Why would you say that I'm doing this by the power of Satan? Because they couldn't do this? Because they were unlimited in their capacity to, to serve the Lord? Listen, there's, there's different things that, that other people can do in the body of Christ that I can't do. Do I assume that that's not God then? <laughs> well, of course you can do that. You're being empowered by Satan. You know, it's like, whoa, talk about division, causing some problems in a, in a relationship. No. But Jesus says, let your sons be the judge. If they're doing it by God, and I'm doing it by God, then I'm telling you that the kingdom of God is present. He's trying to help them understand, I'm the Messiah, you guys, and you keep missing it. Now check this out. He goes on, verse 21, he he says, when a strong man, he gives an illustration now, he's still dealing with this whole thing of Satan being divided against himself. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when a stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away the armor in which he, had, he trusted and divides his spoil. Jesus is illustrating a point here in verses 21 through 23 that Jesus is stronger than any strong man in this world. He is stronger than any man in this world. Do you know that this morning? Jesus is stronger. He is dispelling this devilish deception that Satan is equal, equally as strong as Jesus is. Now, I can tell you that even as a believer, as a young believer in my own walk, I had that deception in my life. And in fact, I will tell you that, and I don't, again, this is totally not from anywhere I ever heard. These are, this is me in my own mind and my weirdness that I created this belief that I don't even know where it came from, but I thought as long as I was, you know, didn't tread too heavily on the enemy's territory that he would leave me alone. Where do you get that? I mean, where does that even come from? I don't know. But, but I kept, you know, I kept just kind of kept an arm's laying distance, whatever, you know, and, and like if, I'm, if I just don't tread too heavily on the enemy's territory, guess what? I'll be okay. And the Lord's like, hey, why do you keep doing that? Why do you not, you know, why do you just, just think that, you know, if you'll keep a little bit of a, little bit of a sin in your life that, it's, that, that you're going to be okay? Number one, that's not okay with me. 
number one. Number two is the enemy is going to continue to devour you because that's what he does. Total deception. I don't even know where it came from. And I promise you there's things in your life like that. If you just examine your heart and say, Lord, where did I even come up with this? I have no idea. But what I know is the Bible tells me that Jesus is stronger. He is stronger. They are not on equal ground. It's like, you know, Jesus is the ultimate, you know, um, strong man, and Satan is a little weakling. In fact, the Bible tells us when we see Satan, when we stand in his presence, we're going to look at him and go, you, you're the one that caused the, uh, the, the nations to tremble? Are you kidding me? When you see him in the light of God, you're going to be like, there's no comparison. So why aren't we living that, like that today? Why aren't you living like that today? Because that reality is present today. We, he, you know, here, here's the reality. Is Jesus isn't saying Satan isn't strong. Because he's saying he's a strong man. But I'm stronger. Right? He has power, but I have more power. He has authority, but I have more authority. He has whatever, the, whatever it is that you're dealing with. He has some capacity in it, but yet God has a greater capacity. And who are we going to trust? Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on the Lord. The Bible tells us, 1 John 4, 4, Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Satan has no power over you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So here's the deal. Let me just say this. When you walk up, when the enemy, you encounter the enemy, and we don't go look for him, by the way, but when we encounter him in our life, the only way that he can bind us is if we stick our hands out and say, here you go. Because it says, he who is greater in you is greater than he in the world. So essentially, what I'm telling you is that Satan is limited to the power that you give him in your life. It's to the power of the unbelief that you have in your life. You know, and, and so oftentimes we, we walk up and go, here, can you put the shackles on me? I want to be your prisoner. And God says, no, wait, I'm, <laughs> I've given you victory already. Why, would, why are you doing that? Do you believe this morning that he's greater? Do you believe that if he is greater that, and you have him in your life, that you have no fear of that? Because he's greater. He's stronger. We don't have to tread lightly in this world. We don't have to walk on eggshells. We, we can make waves. Because the Bible tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, his church understand this is not when Jesus painted that picture he was telling us that the gates of hell as in we are rushing the gates the gates are the weakest part of a city and we're rushing the gates and we're going to tear them down because they can't prevail against the strong man who is in us we're going to take what Satan has that's what it's speaking about we're not in the defense and I think that's how people look at that passage like we're being defensive. No, no, we're on the offense in that passage. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We're going to tear the gates down. We're going to go through not because of who we are, because of who he is. That's how strong he is. You guys believe that this morning? We have more power than we really understand. In the name of Jesus. We have more authority than we understand in the name of Jesus. And he's just telling us this morning, don't be deceived. Don't act like you're hopeless when you're not. Don't act like you're powerless when you're not. If you have Christ in your life, you have everything you need. Verse 24, he goes on. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places. Basically, he goes on through verses 24 and 26 talking about 
when he cast out this demon, what happens? Here's the deal. This is the deception that all I got to do is clean myself up and my life will be happily ever after. Not the case. Jesus says if you want to be healed, you got to be filled. He said if you want to experience true freedom in your walk with me, then you have to be filled with me. It's not enough to go to a 12-step program and to stop doing drugs or stop dealing with you know, abu uh, substance abuse or whatever it might be. It's not enough to say, I'm not going to cuss. I'm going to stop doing these things. And there's this moral reform in your life, and yet you are still empty. Jesus said, you will fail. That's what he's talking about here. Because what's going to happen is the demon, he's wandering through the world going, man... I've got, I've got to fill myself with something. I'm not able to really work the way that I want to work, so I've got to, I've got to fill somebody. Well, what about where I used to live? And he comes back, and all he finds is an empty, an empty cleaned-up person. Perfect. Now I'm going to make that person even worse. And isn't that the case when it comes to substance abuse or whatever? That, the, that people, when they try and clean themselves up, and, and they, they might for a moment, and I'm not saying everybody um, does this, but for the, Jesus is giving us a principle here that if we're not filled with him, that, that our end will be worse than our beginning. That's what he's telling us, and you see that. And in fact, statistically speaking, that is the reality with substance abuse. Do you know that uh, um, the, uh, the, 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 the deaths as related to substance abuse have quadrupled in the last 10 years? As a result of people, I think, cleaning themselves up and not filling themselves with God. Listen, those, cleaning yourself up isn't the answer. It's coming to Jesus and let him cleaning us up. That's the answer because he'll fill you with himself and he'll continue to sweep out the house. Don't think that the house is swept. I promise you there's still more sweeping to be done. If you live in, in, your, in your house, your house might be clean, but I promise you you could clean it more. And God is saying the same thing here. There are demons in, in, in many of our lives, in all of our lives, whether it be physical or symbolic, that if you try and empower it on your own, you will fail. Jesus is saying, you've got to be filled. You've got to come to me. You've got to let me fill you in this situation. Number 27, he goes on and he says, this woman out of the crowd raised her voice and she said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Deception number six, the mother of Jesus should be glorified. Deception number six is the enemy would have us think that the mother of anything to take the eyes off of Jesus. Let's glorify his mom. Let's deify his mom because that will get all eyes off Jesus. It's deception. And, and the enemy, you know, and we see that here. Jesus doesn't, doesn't he's, you know, he doesn't come against this lady for saying, hey, your mom's blessed. She is blessed. Mary is a blessed woman. She's as blessed as any other vessel that's been used by God to glorify his name. And she's, she's super blessed, no question about it. But she's created and she shouldn't be worshipped. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, Jesus said, blessed rather is the person who hears my word and keeps it. No, no, let's get the eyes off of my mom and let's get the eyes off onto my word. Do you know that the last recorded words of, Jesus, of Mary in the Bible, do you know what they are? Listen to his words. It was at the, the, the wedding of Cana. Remember, these are the last recorded words of Mary. I, I think God did that on purpose. And, and John chapter 2, verse, verse 5, Jesus is at the wedding. They're out of wine. His mom comes there. 
And the last recorded words that we have from her are, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> Isn't that what he just said? Do whatever I tell you. She's pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is pointing us to, to the word. Go to his word. Mary is a blessed woman, no doubt, but Jesus said we are more blessed if we'll just keep his word, if we'll do his word. He goes on here, and he, he deals with the second disbelief in verse 29 through 32. Uh, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks an, a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. So, so he, the last devilish deception that Jesus is dispelling here is the sign that people, that, that, um, that you know, signs or miraculous acts will make people believe. How many, how many times have you ever had a friend or maybe you said it yourself that you said, if God would just materialize before me, I would believe in him. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. If, if God were to flip the world upside down and, and you know, do, do whatever crazy thing that you could think of, you still wouldn't believe in him because you are, you are filled with unbelief in the first place. In order for you to come to that place where you believe in God, you have to have some faith. And, and no matter what, um, what act happens, it's going to require faith to believe it because you can always discount anything that happens. Well, of course, yeah, that's the way it works because this is why, of course, and that's how we have evolution. That's why we have all these different um, acts of trying to explain these miraculous things that God did because man doesn't want to believe. And there is no great act that God could do to cause somebody to believe. That's the reality. Jesus doesn't say, I'm not going to give you a sign. He said, listen, I understand the act that you, you want to see something like me bring into, you know, you want me to restore, uh, you know, Jewish, uh, you know, un, without under Roman rule. You want me to restore uh, the Israel to its rightful place. And that's the kind of stuff you want me to do. But I'm telling you that you're still not going to believe. But here's what I'll do. I'll give you a sign. And he said, you know, Jonah, you know the story of Jonah? Three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? That's the sign I give you. Jesus would be three days in, in, the, in the belly of the earth. And then he would rise again from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection here. He's telling us that you want to see a sign. I'll give you one sign and it's in the resurrection of, of who I am. And what happened? Still full of disbelief. Oh, well, of course. They, no, the disciples took the body. Oh, Jesus really wasn't dead. You know, all kinds of different, just ridiculous explanations of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because people that don't want to believe aren't going to believe. That's the reality, and it doesn't matter. And so I would say when you're witnessing to somebody and you sense that they are filled with unbelief and they don't want to believe, stop witnessing. Because you're not, you're, you're casting your pearls before swine. They don't want to believe, and essentially, you might just push them forward, further away from the Lord than actually bring them towards the Lord. Of course, be led by the Spirit, but I'm just saying, at the end of the day, if somebody's full of unbelief, I don't care how great you are at theology, I don't care how many Bible verses you know, I don't care if you can juggle. It's not going to help them understand that they need Jesus. If they don't want to believe, it's not going to matter. God called us to operate by faith. He created us to operate by faith, and he calls us to believe by faith, not blind faith. God's given us many, many reasons to believe in him already, right? He gave these people many, many reasons to believe in him already. 
the reality is they're not believing because they don't want to believe. Jesus said, give me a sign. I'm not going to give you a sign. He goes on and tells these guys, listen, the queen of Sheba, she operated by faith. She came from a long way away into this place where, uh, where Solomon was. She came from a long way to hear, a great distance to hear the wisdom of Solomon by faith. She only heard about his wisdom. She hadn't experienced it for herself, but yet she came a long way to hear from him. And Jesus said, you're greater than Solomon is here. He goes on and he says, listen, the, the people in Nineveh, they, re, they repented at, the, I would say, the heartless preaching of Jonah. He could care, in fact, he didn't want these people to come to Christ, and yet he didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to turn to God. In fact, he was hoping that they would all die right there. And when they did, he was sad. That shows you the heart of this man and where he was, but he, he did what God asked him to do. And yet, even at that heartless preaching, <laughs> God that the whole town repented and they turned to him. Why? It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. It's belief in him. He's given us plenty of reasons to believe. But we can come up with one more reason why not to. That's the reality if we want to. We need to walk in faith. Jesus is saying you've got to walk by faith. The only way to dispel devilish deceptions is by the truth of God's word. And that's what we learn in this passage. It's, it, it's important for us to be in God's word consistently and constantly to meditate on it day and night because it is what will keep us from being deceived. And I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to, to take a little bit of time and by faith open yourself up to the scriptures and just say, Lord, I want to open up myself to you, to, you know, and I want you to show me if there are deceptions in my life if there's things that I'm believing right now that aren't from you, that maybe I heard from somebody else and it wasn't a biblical teaching or um, just things that I've picked up on my own and I've kind of made my own theology and I've kind of made my own, a God in my own image in these areas of my life. And I want to just sit before your word and allow you to just speak to me. And, and here's the thing is, you have to be willing to, to receive what he says. Because I promise you that he'll reveal some things to you as he, has, he does to me all the time. But you have to be willing to say, I don't know it all, Lord. And I want to learn, and I'm a disciple of you. The, te the, the disciple is not greater than the teacher last time I checked. So we're going to sit before the teacher, open up his word, and allow his word to, to, to shine light into those deceptions in our lives. The whole world is deceived, guys. The enemy is the master deceiver. And believers are not um, immune from being deceived in things that they believe. Jesus would tell us this morning, sit before me with my word at your, at, and, and allow my word to shine in your life and to dispel any of these things that the enemy would, would try and um, use in your life to stop you from being everything he called you to be. So I challenge you this week, sit before him, allow his word to check your life and dispel any devilish deceptions that might exist. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just for your word and how it shines light into our lives, Lord, and how it continually helps us, Lord, to not be deceived. We know, God, that it's deception is simply an attractive lie, and we know that it's easy for us to be deceived because our flesh is constantly rearing up and wanting more and more, and it wants to be satisfied. And if we're not careful, Lord, 
we will satisfy it in some way. And before we know it, it can be 20 years before we know we've been deceived in some area. Lord, protect our hearts. Help us to be aware. Help us, as, as Paul said, not to be deceived about the reality of how we come to you, Lord, how we serve you, how we love you, all these things. If we say that we are walking with you and yet we hate our brother, we know that there is a deception in our heart. Lord, help us. We want to know more about you. We want to be more like you. And I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room today that's deceived as it relates to salvation, that the enemy has, has caused them to, to think that it's just a matter of going to church or it's a matter of just doing some good things or it's a matter of reforming self, moral, moral reformation, and, and yet not being filled and surrendering a life to Jesus. Lord, that would be deception. And I pray that you would help anyone that's in that place right now to recognize their need for you and that they would bow their heart before you, God, and recognize, Lord, I need you this morning. I need Jesus. And I'm proclaiming with my heart this morning, with all of my heart and all sincerity, that I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I want to declare uh, th this morning, Lord, that I can't do good, that I have not done good, that I've sinned against you, and I want to repent and turn to you, Lord. I want to believe in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus this morning. I'm putting all my faith in him and what he's done for me. I want to be a Christian, Lord. I want to receive your son. And so by faith, I do that today. And Lord, we know if someone were to pray that prayer, just a simple acknowledgement of their sin, acknowledgement of their turning away from their sin and turning to you, and acknowledging that your son's sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection are enough for us, your word tells us that if we believe in that, we'll be saved. But it's only in that. There is no other way. And Lord, for the rest of us, as we continue to walk out our week, that you would help us not to be deceived in where we are with you. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to reveal those things, and may we have the heart and the faith to, to obey your voice in whatever you would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.